Welcome to On the Move, a podcast that explores the realities of migrants and refugees across the Middle East. On the Move is produced by BCARS, the Boston Consortium for Arab Region Studies. This morning we're meeting with Adham Sahlul. Adham is a master's candidate at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. Before starting the master's program uh, this year, Adham was um, a research associate at the Atlantic Council's Rafiq Hariri Center. Uh, he's an occasional contributor to a variety of blogs and, 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 and uh, news um, outlets, uh, including Lawfare, a national security blog, uh, Axios, and Time Magazine. Prior to, to coming to Fletcher School, uh, Adham was the advocacy officer at SAMS, the Syrian American Medical Society, a very impressive organization. Uh, but what brings us together today here, um, Adham and myself, is the carnage in eastern Uquta. Uh, we want to hear from you, Adham, um, about the situation there now uh, in eastern Uquta in particular, in greater Damascus and all of Syria. But uh, we want to hear from you, especially in the context uh, of reports this morning of yet another chlorine or chemical attack on civilians in this tortured area on the outskirts of Damascus. This chemical attack comes in the context of a supposed five-hour truce that is supposedly happening daily, and we know it's not. And these realities, the non-truce truce and the chemical attacks, comes in the context of over 700 civilians killed in recent weeks in eastern Uruta. So uh, we can start there, sure. um, and uh, we'll talk about if there's a positive future uh, later today. So thank you, Adam, for joining me today, and I uh, look forward to hearing from you. All right. Well, thank you, Dennis, and thank you uh, to your listeners uh, for tuning in. Uh, obviously, um, you know, what's happening in Ruta is something that's, um, I mean, it's become viral, uh, similar to uh, what happened in Aleppo in 2016, mm-hmm. where folks uh, became aware of, of a civil war that's sort of uh, tearing an entire country apart. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that between these sort of highly concentrated, uh, brutal attacks uh, that, you know, there really isn't you know, that much conversation in the media sphere uh, about what's happening in Syria, even though Syria is um, sort of the crisis of our time, um, it's the worst humanitarian uh, situation mm-hmm. in the 21st century. It's uh, definitely, it's, it's spillover has had ripple effects not only in the region, uh, but in Europe and the United mm-hmm. States. Uh, the refugee crisis and ISIS, which came out of a political vacuum there, uh, drastically warped the, uh, the domestic politics all across Europe, uh, and obviously, uh, here in the United States, uh, you know, I, I suppose a problem that we have in Washington is that we haven't had leadership at the political level connect those dots, and perhaps that was uh, that's convenient because uh, any conversation about policy in Syria or a lack thereof, you know, would point to past failings of the previous mm-hmm. administration, and it would also tie perhaps future uh, White House hopefuls uh, to a uh, policy that they might not want to. Mm-hmm. You know, invest uh, American taxpayer dollars and obviously American lives too. Yeah. Um, you know, if I may, so I, I think that, that you know, as as you and I sit here, um, 
I'm keeping up with all of these details, and but there's so much there to unpack, and I, I think most of our listeners are aware of so many things, but why don't we just, you, you provided so many big uh, headlines of, of the last eight years of this horrible war, why don't we just spend a few minutes unpacking that and, and laying out the situation, mm-hmm. if I may. Just before we started recording, we both mentioned that this is the eighth, we're starting the eighth year, mm-hmm. uh, depending on when this podcast drops. Um, it's it's starting the eighth year of this civil war, mm-hmm. this proxy war, where everybody and their brother and their cousin and their, you know, their aunts and uncles are all involved in, in, in getting in, into the Syrian civil war. So we have a, a rebellion that becomes a civil war that becomes a proxy war. Uh, you mentioned the refugee crisis. I want to also talk about the, the sort of, sort of to me represents a lot of the, the, the forgotten <laughs> Syrians, which are the internally displaced, mm-hmm. the internally at need, the internally vulnerable. Um, so just if I may, and you can correct my numbers, but uh, before the war, I think the Syrian population was 22 million, roughly 22 million people. Now we have almost 6 million people outside of Syria, mostly as registered refugees, 5.5 million registered refugees, another perhaps million just not registered but still gone Mm -hmm. from Syria. Then the internally displaced was much be another, what, another 6 million, 6, 7, something Mm -hmm. like. So you're talking about well above 50% of the Mm -hmm. Syrian population outside their homes, mm-hmm. as we said, most of them under siege at home, Eastern Ghouta being the most recent, Aleppo before. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I just want to make sure folks are keeping up with the horrors, sadly, of this. Of this. Um, and then, yes, you mentioned, you know, as, as soon as refugees and start heading to Europe, oh my God, there's a crisis on our hands mm-hmm. and the, the world started to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just wanted to throw those out mm-hmm. to, especially for any listeners who, who haven't been catching up with those details. Not okay. at all. And, and I would also um, add that, um, you know, I, I think this is the time in the conversation about Syria that, um, for folks who have been observing what's been happening either from afar or uh, keeping, keeping tabs uh, daily, you know, to help connect those dots. And so, you know, these numbers, you know, six, six million refugees, six million Israeli displaced, you know, they're not just happening in a vacuum. The idea of Syria being a civil war, there's even a conversation about, mm. you know, is it, a, is it indeed a civil war? Mm. There are uh, a lot of folks in the um, uh, Syrian pro-democracy, pro-human rights movement, uh, or even the humanitarian community who don't want to call it uh, a civil war because even though perhaps in an international law class it might be indeed classified as a civil war, the terminology seems to downplay, you know, that this is that the conflict in Syria, the roots of the conflict in Syria are a, a, a corrupt, brutal, kleptocratic regime that decided to fire back at its civilians who demanded for reform and eventually called for you know, as, uh, President Assad uh, to step down. Mm-hmm. It was an international armed conflict from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you had um, the opposition side, you had uh, you know, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, you had Turkey, and at some point, at some time, the Morsi's government in Egypt. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Iran, so, as well. Yeah, uh, and then obviously on, on Assad's side, you had mm, uh, Iran, Iran, uh, Iranian-sponsored uh, militia, you had Hezbollah, uh, you had Russia. So th- this was not, uh, I, I think there are some folks who like to call it a civil war because it, it sort of uh, keeps it at arm's distance, right. at arm's length. Yeah. Uh, but this is a conflict with 
global that has had global consequences and that has had uh, a, a global yes. global dimensions yeah. for the um, w- when we talk about uh, six million uh, refugees six million internally displaced uh, you know it would be great to um, think about uh, what Assad's aims are in terms of uh, having all these Syrians pour out of the country mm. you know moving different populations around the country um, obviously he's he's um, Trying to take back what some or what he calls and what some call you know essential Syria, so basically this swath of land from Damascus uh, up through Homs, uh, you know up through up through Aleppo and the, mm-hmm. obviously the coastal region, all of his enemies, um, they, all these formerly uh, besieged areas, and they've been displaced to areas like Idlib, which is sort of this undesirable area uh, that's uh, dominated by. Uh, largely uh, Al-Qaeda-affiliated uh, armed groups. You know, he's sort of setting up, you know, conditions for post-conflict uh, Assad-led statelet that is uh, made up of folks that aren't threatening to his mm-hmm. regime. And the desirables. The, desi- the desirables, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, it begs the question why, uh, as to why folks aren't using terms like ethnic cleansing or, or mm-hmm. genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, more liberally um, when it comes to yeah. what's happening because he is essentially cleansing certain areas. He has used the term cleanse, yeah. uh, you know, when it came to uh, northwest Syria. Uh, obviously, his supporters say, you know, Assad or we'll burn the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, he's uh, cleansed these swaths of land of uh, people um, that, that he deems as uh, undesirable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he's, and he's repopulated uh, areas like Homs, where my family's from, with uh, uh, people from the coastal region, Alawis, mm-hmm. Shia, that this sectarian population redistribution, I think that that has to be in the in the conversation about these humanitarian statistics. Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah, let me let me just get, uh, again for um, for listeners, but for you to clarify uh, for me, my understanding. You know, I think most people who know about the the ethnic and or the sectarian differences understand that. Syria is a predominantly Sunni Muslim country that's been led for almost close, uh, approaching 50 years by an Alawi minority sect, thanks to the French in particular for their colonial imprint from the past. Uh, but that's lasted. There's maybe, uh, I don't know, 10, 11% Christian population. Maybe that's too high. Um, so it is a it is a country with that's been a mosaic for many years. Druze, uh, Alawi, Shia, mm-hmm. Sunni, various types of Christian groups, and even Jews from um, from well before, but those are virtually gone as we know. Still, that mosaic is going is virt- is going away. It seems like what you're saying is that uh, he's focusing especially on the Alawi sect, and maybe maybe Druze. I don't know. Maybe Shia. You say, but clearly he can't completely cleanse. A Sunni Muslim country of Sunni Muslims, and there must—I know there's a tiny minority, or maybe it's not tiny minority of Sunni Muslims who benefit from his regime. So they have to be loyal to a point. Mm -hmm. What we didn't—you mentioned Al Qaeda, uh, but uh, there's been this traditional uh, internal warfare between the Muslim Brotherhood of of Syria and the Assad family, the Assad father, and Mm -hmm. now the son. Anyway, so right. I don't want to overly complicate. Syria is complicated yeah, enough, so I didn't, I didn't want to just complicate it more with all of that. But I wanted to lay out again this mosaic, which in the past was a pretty, a, a pretty damn good thing <laughs> for Syria. Right. Uh, I always loved going to Syria. I'm not a Syria expert. I always 
love learning more about Syria, but I haven't been able to go personally with my groups, my students and others for the last eight years because of this war. So that's, again, that's why we reached out to you for for understanding what's going on in this context. Absolutely, and and uh, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of you know Syria being this this diverse, beautiful tapestry. You know, my father used to tell me stories, and I never got to witness this, but you know, growing up in Homs, he, you know, they would celebrate. You know, he was Muslim. But they would uh, they would celebrate Christmas with mm-hmm. the Christians and and Homs and 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 vice versa. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, this applies, of course, to you know the rest of the Middle East uh, to a certain extent, yeah. but. Uh, Syria did have uh, that unique um, uh, uh, diversity, yeah. and, um, and a lot of that was uh, the Assad regime successfully uh, being able to stabilize the country politically and security-wise. You know, managing all of these diverse groups um, through um, you know through a system of clientelism. Uh, obviously, you know, you have millions of Sunnis who who either support explicitly or tacitly or because they don't believe that there is an alternative to the, to the regime, or that, uh, or out of fear, mm. uh, that that support this, uh, that support the regime. Some of it is tied to class. Some of it is tied to geography. You know, you had different, you had different areas that had Sunni majority. Uh, different cities that had Sunni majorities that uh, took to the streets during the protests uh, earlier than others. So Homs was. You know, one of one of the first uh, you know activists like to tease each other that you know Aleppo took forever to to to, to rise, uh, and this would be the same. Uh, uh, this would apply to uh, you know the uprising in the '80s, in the early '80s, yeah. the Muslim Brotherhood-led uprising. I mean, it was a brother, brotherhood-led uprising, but there were obviously other groups involved. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Bassam Haddad, uh, mm-hmm. he's, I think, mm-hmm. we're at George Mason University. Mm-hmm. He re- he wrote a book about class and you know political economy in Syria, and I think mm-hmm. he he wrote about. I hope I'm quoting him correctly, but he did write about how, you know, uh, some of the failure of, of the of the, eight, the uprising in the '80s was that you know these mer- Sunni merchant class just didn't they didn't uh, join the boycott they didn't they didn't shutter mm-hmm. their stores. Obviously, mm-hmm. Hafez al-Assad, the current president's father, bombed Hama yeah. uh, to hell, yeah. uh, killing uh, somewhere between ten to thirty thousand yeah. uh, people, depending yeah. on. Uh, depending on who you're asking, right. and so certainly Assad has uh, absolutely uh, torn apart serious uh, the, the social fabric of Syria. I don't know what exactly we're talking about now when we say Syria yeah. uh, and Syrian society. Yeah. Um, um, well, I just was going to say that um, I drove through Hama and Homs my first time in Syria in 1986. So that was just four years after Daddy Assad destroyed the two cities. And it was, you would never know it, of course. Okay, four years seems like a, a long enough time to rebuild two cities. I don't, I didn't think so at the time in the 80s. I thought, wow, not a trace of the destruction from the 82. So, yeah, and the, those were the numbers I kept hearing. 25,000 was the, the number I, I was hearing in the 80s. So I think the range is right. No, we were talking about the diversity, you know, Ilikan, you know, what used to be this, this beauty. And we, we hope with the spirit of Syrians, um, the traditions of Syria, we hope we want those to return and rebuild this shattered country. How? But when I'm listening, when I'm listening to you, I'm hearing your analysis that um, Bashar al-Assad is is planning for what we just said was the desirable Syria, or the you know. But you mentioned it as a statelet, so um, I don't want to divert us too far afield. But that implies to me that you're seeing the future Syria as subdivided 
broken up into state-leds? Uh, do you think Syria will stay? Uh, yeah, I guess maybe I could ask you to explore what you meant by the state-led. Uh. Well, well, to clarify, when I when I said state-led, uh, I, I uh, was referring to you know the current you know military landscape where yeah. he has control of you know Understood. these essential quote unquote essential uh, areas of Syria yeah. that is leveraged yeah. in terms of. Uh, uh, you know whether it's in G- yeah. Geneva or Astana, uh, that he is, uh, that I mean he is the top dog right now yeah. in Syria. Yeah. There's a difference of opinion uh, about you know this issue of partition. You had yeah. some folks, some folks who have been championing it from the very beginning, uh, <laughs> Joe playing Biden. Joe Biden, <laughs> uh, Joshua Landis, you know others who have been following Syria for a while. Yeah. But um, it, at, at the current pace, there is nothing short of. Um, you know, a more robust uh, response from the United States or um, Turkish uh, Turkish protectorate in northern Syria. There's nothing really stopping Assad from, you know, after eventually, the, after the capitulation of, of East Lulta, uh, from, you know, retaking Aleppo. He's, I mean, all, basically all of these Syrians who were in opposition-held mm-hmm. areas um, who surrendered went to, you know, most of them went to Idlib. Idlib, right. Yeah. yeah. Some, of course, some would, some stayed in IDP camps around Damascus mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, but the fear of retribution, especially the young yeah. men, you know, th- th- that fear drove them to Idlib. So those those folks who are, who are now there and they have to deal with uh, Al-Qaeda-led groups. Uh, of course, there's rifts between the rebels there. There's yeah. the Ahrar al-Sham-led coalition. Yep. the the uh, sort of Jabhat al-Nusra, Hayat tahrir al-Sham yeah. uh, coalition. Not only do they have to deal with that, they have to deal with the sort of, uh, they're predestined now to be the next uh, East Luta. Yeah, um, yeah, so we went yeah. from Aleppo to Isurota, yeah. now, now Idlib is next, it seems. Uh, uh, yes, yeah. Um, yeah. and um, you know, you were talking about uh, uh, hope for uh, re- you know, rebuilding Syria and so on. Uh, the conversation about rebuilding Syria and reconstruction is obviously very political. Yeah. Um, it's the same with uh, talking about repatriation. You hear the Europeans talking about it, you hear you know, Mogherini, you even hear Merkel who was supposedly, mm-hmm. uh, Chancellor Merkel was supposedly someone who, uh, in, a, in a post-Assad democratic Syria, would have boulevards named after her, yeah. or at least she, she would have. You know, was even talking about repatriation, and, and uh, it speaks to the exhaustion and the, the blowback that, that the, the Europeans have had from, from this conflict, which has been, you know, left unmanaged by the, you know, frankly, the United States. Uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, they were talking about reconstruction, but uh, it's sort of with the, pr- the premise that Assad is winning, and mm-hmm. they're already moving on yeah. from yeah. the sense of conflict, even though the conflict is still ongoing. Mm-hmm. You still have the Turks engaged. Mm-hmm. You still have is- Israel confronting Iran and vice yeah. versa. Yeah. You still have act- Russia actively intervening mm-hmm. uh, in Syria, and you still have uh, Assad, you know, trying to retake the rest of, you know, what he deems as essential Syria, uh, and you have U.S. troops in in, in yeah, eastern Syria. This, uh, it's yeah, gra- it's a great. It's yeah. a great question to ask ourselves yeah. like as we're mentioning this yeah, I'm like, yeah is it hundreds is it thousands it's yeah it's somewhere there, there was a number there was a number I, I remember reading 2000 but I have to make sure yeah. I, I brush up brush up on that right but, but, yeah. but you know but even when we talk about reconstructions what are you rebuilding exactly right. are you right. rebuilding around Assad yeah. and if if and if Assad leaves you know this this morning uh, I was reading about transitional justice in Kosovo mm-hmm. and that even today there is this debate among you know, in, in Kosovo, about the, the term reconciliation and mm-hmm. how yeah. they're not accepting that term yeah. reconciliation because it implies forgiveness for, for you know these you know for these war crimes and crimes against humanity, right. and so where do we even start with the, uh, after after this 
all trust has been burned mm-hmm. after all the cementing of sort of sectarian identities, mm-hmm. um, uh, political identities. You know, the, the red bath flag, yeah. The, the, yeah. the green, the green flag, black flag. Even mm-hmm. um, of course, the Kurds. Uh, mm-hmm. As the conflict has gone on, have sort of gotten more in line with the PKK aligned uh, YPG PYD, yeah. um, who have ambitions for you know an independent Syrian Kurdish. Uh, state. Um, you have more Kurds uh, buying into that vision as the opposition um, had not successfully um, sold them on a, on mm-hmm. a vision for mm-hmm. a post-Assad Syria that includes them. Yeah. And as the conflict uh, has become uh, more and more um, hopeless, I wouldn't blame them for pursuing you know, their own ambitions. Uh, and so, so that, that for me is, is, is the great question, is how do we even have this conversation about you know, quote unquote, reconstruction, stabilization, mm-hmm. without thinking at all about, uh, you know, uh, social reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that you brought up Kosovo, um, and and uh, just for our listeners, that was not a plant. You probably didn't know this, but um, for the last three years, BCARS has been very much looking in both directions between the Middle East, Syria, and the conflict, and the Balkans, and the former Yugoslavia. Um, we've been doing work actually in Macedonia and in Serbia, a little bit in Bosnia, not much happening there. I think those are that's a great example to, for you to raise because uh, we look at we we look at post uh, Dayton Accords, 1995, when the U.S. basically imposed this solution on a resolution. I don't know, it wasn't a solution; it was a resolution. It imposed a peace. It didn't impose a, a, a future with prospects. But the EU did, and so I think what we're, so I do think the Balkans is a great, the, the best case study to look at at the moment, only because it was A, so recent, and B, so the inter-ethnic and the inter-religious uh, diversity of the Balkans, of the former Yugoslavia, is similar enough, I think, to, to Syria. But in this question of what next, you know, what's the, what's the solution, um, the difference, you know, in the former Yugoslavia is that you know the U.S. could impose that, and the EU could basically say, "Okay, look to us, and we'll look to you. And if you all behave, you can enter the club." When the club had a much better reputation, but I still think that's a worthy uh, goal for the the Kosovars and the Serbs and the uh, the Bosnians to all to look to the EU. Um, but I'm I'm bringing it back to Syria. It's like, okay, yes, as you were saying, okay, we reconstruct it on what basis? And to what end? To, to what future? Uh, you can reconstruct it. The World Bank can come in and invest billion, hundreds of billions of dollars. The Saudis can help. The Turks can help. Um, but the Russians and the Chinese and the Americans, um, you know, they're also going to want to put their fingers in that mm-hmm. pie and, and shape it that way. But again, and then what? You know, it's going to be at least a generation, 20, 20 years or more, for Syrians to, to get toward anything like transitional mm-hmm. justice and and then what after 20 years youth unemployment is still going to be there the youth mm-hmm. bulge is going to just continue to get bigger what are the prospects and and for me it's um, again I go back to the Balkans at least they look to something bigger than themselves mm-hmm. the, you know Serbia as part of the EU Bosnia as part of the EU Kosovo as part of a greater union What's Syria got to look forward to it's still going to be mushed up against you know Iraq and Turkey and Okay, it can tr- control Lebanon to the extent it wants to, and then it can figure out how to li- live nicely with Jordan. But um, anyway, I, I, I think maybe we can, 
we don't have solutions, but we can at least maybe we can just spend a few minutes looking at mm -hmm. w what what do you see in the next five years? If if anything, you know, hopelessness, hopefulness. I I'm an optimistic guy, but when you mentioned the word hope a few minutes ago, I was like, am I hopeful? I don't even know if I'm hopeful, and I'm right. a, I'm a hopeful guy in general. Um, so I'm trying to find hope in this situation. I don't know if you can give me any hope, <laughs> but if you can, I'd, I'd welcome it. Well, well I, um, I, I find, uh, as, as dismal as the situation is, um, I find my inspiration from Syrians who you know, became refugees, who are mm -hmm. part of this now, this global Syrian diaspora, mm -hmm. um, who carry Syria with them in their, in their language, in their food. You know, they're, they're plugged into you know, what's happening back yeah. home. And uh, you know they believe in uh, in, a, in a better Syria. They they want to believe all of this pain, all this destruction, all of this, all of this death, wasn't for nothing. Of course, the international community is not going to come into Syria with the Assad regime still still in power. You talk about money coming in when when already you have UN aid money. Uh, the Guardian did a piece on this I think, two years ago, uh, how it's uh, lining Assad and his cousins and his family's pockets. Mm. You know, Assad is not a credible partner, yeah. and um, uh, and uh, as we're seeing, uh, uh, Iran and uh, certainly Iran and Russia aren't uh, necessarily credible uh, grantors of uh, for Assad, uh, Assad and the Syrian yeah. army or whatever remains of the Syrian yeah. army uh, behaving. Uh, let me be clear: two thirds of the Syrian army are made up of Iranian-led uh, Iranian-sponsored militia, including Hezbollah. And, thousands uh, wow. that, uh, of Shia militia that they brought in from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq. Wow. So I think any prospect for rebuilding Syria has to start with the dismantling of this regime um, yeah. and uh, you know the imposition of a sort of a unity government. Mm -hmm. Who from the opposition do you involve in that? Which armed groups do you say are, are allowed to be you know, uh, you know, a part of that? Uh, you know, that that, and, and who from the regime, uh, who, what credible voices from the Adawi community, who makes uh, Iran feel comfortable, who makes Turkey feel comfortable, feel, who makes Russia feel comfortable. I mean, that's up for discussion. Russia is clearly the, the main player right now in the international scene yeah. in Syria. Yeah. So they had yeah. this, they had the, earlier in the, this year, they had the Sochi conference where they tried to organize their uh, own uh, op opposition. And they had sort of a quote-unquote uh, unity conference. Uh, some opposition members did try to Mm -hmm. Did try to make it there, and some did did make it there, yeah. and um, so you have, they're going to have to confront and sit in the same room with folks who are known as the, you know, butcher of Aleppo or the butcher of Hamas. Uh, per, this person was yeah. the general or the commander who led this or that massacre. Now, uh, critics of uh, what Russia was trying to do in, so in Sochi, you know, would say that that Russia is uh, simply just trying to defang the opposition and mm -hmm. co-opt the opposition. That may be true, uh, but it's clear that um, that that the Sochi process has become is being integrated into the the, the broader Geneva process for Syria, mm -hmm. um, and so perhaps that's somewhere to start in terms yeah. of figuring out who is at the table yeah. uh, negotiating with whom. Yeah. In terms of um, in the meantime, you know, it's clear Assad is going to try to take uh, the rest of Syria, um, as I mentioned, short of yeah. some robust robust change from the from. Yeah. the NATO-led alliance. I would advocate for uh, a Turkish protectorate in, in northern Syria. Not only does this secure Turkey's uh, interest of preventing a Kurdish uh, state, a mm -hmm. destabilizing presence mm -hmm. on, its, on its southern border, but it allows for Turkey, and by extension the United States, should the United States um, work to 
uh, reconcile uh, some of the uh, strategic differences uh, that, uh, that, uh, that we have with Turkey. I say we as an American. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, th th that gives uh, the United States leverage on the ground, which uh -huh. currently the, the United States lacks. Yeah. Uh, you, have, you know, our NATO ally actively involved in stabilizing Syria. There is already is a model that has been working in Jarablus in North Aleppo, mm -hmm. uh, where essentially Turkish government uh, is administering this area, stabilizing Syria. So you would area. suggest expanding that area? Expanding that, yeah. it would be a humanitarian buffer zone. Um, uh -huh. It would be uh, a hedge against uh, uh, the, the YPG, which mm -hmm. to be clear, is aligned with the Assad regime. Not only has it, since the beginning of this conflict, had a symbiotic relationship with the Assad regime, they're not, you know, they don't hit each other. Mm -hmm. But the YPG had a role in the siege of Aleppo. You know, they've been always able to cross through um, uh, uh, government-held uh, mm -hmm. territory. They took the Sheikh Maqsoud uh, uh, district in, in, mm -hmm. in Aleppo, essentially helping seal off Castello Road, which in turn led to the siege of, of, of eastern Aleppo. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Syrians remember, that, yeah. uh, that, you know, the role that the YPG uh, mm -hmm. had. And, you know, obviously the United States relied heavily on the YPG-led uh, Syrian Democratic yeah. Forces, SDF, and I think this was a strategic mistake. I wrote for mm -hmm. Lawfare mm -hmm. last year that, you know, where we basically rushed Raqqa. And while while um, the campaign against ISIS was, ex was a success, you know, there was no credible uh, local partner mm -hmm. uh, to stabilize afterwards yeah. uh, that could win that could win the trust of the majority Arab population. Mm -hmm. So, so not only would you be hedging against the Kurds, who are clearly not um, a reliable local partner, uh, who are de uh, destabilizing presence to our NATO ally, which I think first and foremost, I think we've just lost the picture in terms of um, you know at all taking it at all into account uh, Turkey's uh, uh, concerns. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a hedge against Al Qaeda and Idlib. Mm -hmm. Turkey is the only one with the cultural and religious, obviously, geographic capacity mm -hmm. to um, mm -hmm. promote the and take advantage of the divisions between the armed factions uh, in Idlib and, and uh, uh, ensure that uh, the Al Qaeda led Hayat Tahrir al Sham mm -hmm. uh, coalition, uh, you know, basically does not continue to have. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it, it keep its chokehold mm -hmm. over, over Idlib. Mm -hmm. And this is important because right now, and as as always, Assad and Russia have said that oh, you know, we're we're fighting terrorists, we're bombing terrorists, just like you. I mean, their their strategic mm -hmm. their Russia's strategic narrative of countering terrorism in post nine eleven context is they were able to piggyback, uh, they were able to basically free ride on the U.S. led you know war on war on terror, and they've used you know a similar language in terms of you know we're we're not hitting. Uh, you know, civilians yeah. so we're fighting but you know fighting terrorists. Fighting terrorists. Now, if you have a, if you when we're talking about Idlib, you have clearly uh, there, and it's going to be much harder to sell to the international community the sort of sympathy that's needed for any sort of action. Obviously, n no one's acted when you know when we saw all the images from Aleppo or yeah. from Bulta. Yeah. Um, but in Idlib, it would be you know even more the case, and and. Um, um, for Idlib moving forward, um, you can't talk about, um, you know, what remains of you know any, any significant opposition, with Idlib being the last, you know, main opposition stronghold, mm -hmm. uh, if Al Qaeda is the big player. So I think Turkey is yeah. going to be would be instrumental uh, in sort of uh, dismantling Al Qaeda's uh, grip there, mm -hmm. and, and not to mention a Turkish protectorate in Syria. I, mean, I mentioned earlier, like sort of a humanitarian buffer zone, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it would give. It would give a lot of these displaced people uh, another option, yeah. Um, yeah. and Ru Russia and Assad, I think, would uh, yeah. would not. Uh, I think they they would 
they would uh, think twice before bombing civilians in a in a Turkish protection. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great. That's a, that is a great um, idea to, to 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 give us some hope that the, that <laughs> we can start thinking about a uh, any kind of protection zone. I'm thinking of something similar in the south along the Jordan border, the Syria Jordan border. Not that Jordan is a Turkey by any means. Um, but it is a friend of the United States, mm -hmm. and I'm sure the United States would be <laughs> very instrumental uh, in helping um, Jordan if there was anything like that, if there were to be anything like you suggested in the North. But I think the North is definitely more the on fire than yeah. the southern border. Oh, I think also politically, um, with Turkey being the impl implementer mm -hmm. and, and in terms of bearing the cost, um, yes. and um, yeah. you know, obviously that, that is much more palatable to the public. At least for the Trump administration, that you you get you hit two birds with one stone. You rebuild ties with um, you know one of the, the critical NATO allies, and mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. perhaps have some sort of short-term solution mm -hmm. uh, for what's happening. And this obviously turns you know turns into leverage uh, in, in Geneva, uh, which yeah. you know, we currently do not have. Right. Was right. Circling back to the, you know, earlier in the yeah. conversation, it's like how do you how do you push this status quo uh, towards somewhere more productive? You know, it starts with having leverage. Yep. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you forever about this, mm -hmm. and maybe we'll have a part two if we uh, if we can uh, stop the the carnage in in eastern Ruta and and move to some kind of stabilization, protected zones, mm -hmm. zone or zones. And anyway, maybe we'll let's do this again, mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe we'll see if if there are things that can be implemented, and and then we could go to the next level and the next level because this is, as you know, better than than me and this is a long 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 road that our Syrian brothers and sisters are, are going down mm -hmm. toward any kind of resolution so again let's be we can end on a hopeful note that sounds like a nice um, constructive uh, idea I hope a lot of people are thinking about that already I'm sure the Turks are anyway Adham I really want to thank you uh, I'll shake your hand across oh. across the great across let the recording let device let the, let the record show yeah. <laughs> it was a great. wonderful time with you and thank you so much for um, for being with me today uh, thank you Dennis and uh, thank you to your listeners I would encourage of course uh, anyone who is concerned uh, about what's happening in East Ulta to check out some of the humanitarian organizations that are doing uh, doing work there yeah. that have field hospitals uh, operating there this is of course the Syrian American mm -hmm. Medical Society uh, I think first and foremost one yeah. of the organizations that um, folks should consider donating. Is that like sams.org or what is that? Uh, it's uh, sams slash USA. Okay. Uh, sams dash USA dash dot net. Dot net. Okay. Mm. We're, we're, we're all about uh, not plugs for the right causes, and that's certainly right. the right one to start with. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. Great. Thank, thank you, Adam. Well, thanks for listening to On the Move and our special edition regarding the continuing horrors of Syria and Eastern Ruta in particular. And as Adham mentioned, you know, check out SAMS, check out any organization that you are willing uh, to support. The, the need for support is endless, but the uh, capacity to support uh, is quite finite. So please help wherever you can. Beyond Syria, we will continue to feature on this podcast more interviews with other regional experts, um, beyond the crisis in, in Syria. I want you to also make sure you follow us on our Facebook page. You can find that by searching Boston Consortium for Arab Region Studies on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at bcars underscore Boston. And check out our website, bcars.org.
www.hyphenglobal.org, where we frequently post updates on our events, new publications, bulletins, etc. If you'd like to support BCARS or join our network or even give us some feedback on, on our uh, podcast and other activities, please contact me, Dennis Sullivan, at d.sullivan at northeastern.edu. We are on the move. Thanks so much for listening.